In this episode, I speak with Professor Jean-Louis Monestes, who is a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Grenoble in France and a leading thinker into the application of evolutionary principles in psychology. Jean-Louis has published several chapters on evolutionary processes in clinical psychology with Stephen Hayes and David Sloan Wilson, as well as articles and books on acceptance and commitment therapy and relational frame theory. In this conversation, we explore why evolutionary theory can be a powerful model for effective psychotherapy, how evolutionary principles can be applied for improving outcomes in clinical work, the link between evolution, acceptance and commitment therapy, and the psychological flexibility model, and a whole lot more. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help get these ideas out there to a wider audience, it would make a huge difference if you could leave a quick review of the show on your favorite podcast provider, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Um, for anybody that isn't aware of you and the work that you do, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you initially got interested in evolution and clinical psychology? Uh, hi, Neil. Thanks for, for having me. Um, you know, it's always difficult to introduce uh, yourself, especially when you start to get old. Uh, I'm, I'm 48 or something like that. Um, I would say that uh, I first uh, graduated as, as a behavioral analyst, let's say that. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I, I took interest in, uh, in psychotherapy more, more deeply. And now, now I'm, uh, I'm a professor of uh, clinical psychology in, in France, in uh, Grenoble Alpes University, um, for about seven years now, only seven years, because just before that, I work uh, as a psychologist in a psychiatric hospital. Um, I, I used to work with, uh, with people um, in, uh, in psychiatric wards uh, for about 15 years. So uh, as you can guess, all this looks very far from evolution. Uh, <laughs> maybe in uh, uh, yeah, surface, it looks uh, very far from, from evolution. But um, the story of, uh, of evolution um, uh, started for me uh, when I was... Uh, an undergraduate, actually. I was working on a, on a very specific model, which is called um, ideal free distribution. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's a, a, a model um, uh, that builds on uh, the theory of game. You know the theory of game, um, John Nash story. I know that there's been a movie on, on, on his story because he was suffering from, uh, from schizophrenia. Uh, theory of game, uh in a way the movie oh, the movie is a beautiful mind is a beautiful that... mind yes yes exactly a beautiful mind uh theory of mind no sorry <laughs> theory of game um in a nutshell it's a it's a model that uh, intend to predict uh huge groups of people behavior yes and uh, the ideal free distribution, the model on which I was uh, working, uh, was a model to predict the behavior of um, groups of animals, especially their um, choice of uh, foraging species. And this was my first, my first entry um, in evolution. And I was really um, fascinated by, uh, especially by the uh, fashion 
I mean, uh, um, um, our group of people could synchronize uh, in their behavior. So um, I took an interest in, um, in an anthropologist, which is called Marvin Harris. Uh, his model was uh, cultural materialism. And um, I started to try to, uh, uh, um, to, to, to find a common place between behavior analysis um, and uh, uh, cultural materialism in order to understand at this, at this moment, what I wanted to understand was taboos in group of people, because taboos, do, do I pronounce it well, taboos? Yeah, like a, a taboo, yeah, something that's yeah, sort of frowned upon in society and... Exactly, and the taboo for me was the example of a group, a group of people who were behaving in a way that wasn't optimal. And it's, in, in evolution, there have always been a question about uh, optimality. Um, if you if you think too quick too quickly about evolution, you you, uh, you think that it's a question of uh, being optimal because you think that selection is going to, um, in a way, um, uh, how can I say that? Um, um, ah, select uh, organism. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, if you think about uh, adaptation too quickly, you're going to think that the, the, the game is to um, delete or suppress. I'm looking for a word, but I, I don't know what could be the, the right one. Um, to kill or I don't know, um, the, 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 the individual or the, the species that are not adapted. But it's not that um, selection and adaptation is about uh, selecting what works, not um, deleting what doesn't work. Um, so in a way, I, I, I lost my, uh, uh, <laughs> my way in all that, but um, I was fascinated by, by the, the fact that we could use um, the, the very idea of natural selection for something else that species or uh, genes. And uh, so, so, so I, I jumped also in the, uh, in Dawkins' proposal about memes was very interesting for me. Um, now I know that uh, we can criticize that, but the idea was how could um, uh, behaviors in a way spread in group of people. Um, and then at the same time, I started to, to work as a clinical psychologist in hospital, but still I had that in mind. And um, the point is that when you are when, when you are a behavior analyst, uh, sooner or later you're going to find uh, Skinner's uh, writing about evolution because Skinner proposed this very idea that uh, um, selection by consequences uh, at, at the scale of behavior is the same in a way or resumes um, natural selection. So reading all that, um, it was something I would say uh, obvious for me that my job as a clinical psychologist was to select and to help clients um, select their own behaviors in a way so that they, they could have a behavioral, a behavioral repertoire that match that context. Very interesting. Now, you, you mentioned briefly there Skinner's idea of selection by consequences. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about this and why this is such an important idea for, for human behavior and changing human behavior? Yeah, in fact, the, the question of um, 
The question of evolution is also the question of what is selected. Okay. So we all have in mind, uh, because the, the, the modern synthesis of evolution told us that what is selected is genes, our genes. Um, but you, you, you can also think that whatever variates, meaning whatever um, living system uh, are or produce, will be the subject of selection and retention. And actually, this is the, the very idea that uh, Skinner proposed. He said, just as species uh, vary, behaviors also vary, just as uh, individual from species would um, be adapted or not to the environment and then would be selected, some behaviors will be more adapted to their context, to their environment, then they will be reproduced. And he said, it looks like the process of natural selection. Um, we can imagine that this resembles really looks is the same. I think uh, we need to, 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 to come back to Skinner's uh, writing to see if it was an analogy for him or um, if, it, if uh, selection of behavior of behaviors was um, evolution per se. It's, it's not very clear. I think he, he thought about it as, as an analogy. Maybe what I, what I bring on the table um, with my colleague Stephen Ace is the fact that actually evolution doesn't care about face or time scales or whatever. This is our invention, actually. Um, I mean, for sure, Darwin uh, show, shows us, showed us that um, it is important to think about change on very large time scales. But once again, uh, what we would call evolution, of course, as you can guess, this is not a, a magic force somewhere or a spirit somewhere, but um, evolution actually doesn't care and doesn't know about time and time scale. We human, we uh, slice the, the, the time in different parts, but um, if evolution is about um, retaining and selecting what works, best in this very environment, it happens all the time. So it means that there is no scale uh, uh, in evolution. I mean, it happens in the long term. If you, um, if the material that is selected is a, let's say a hard material, just like genetic, but it also happen right now at this very moment. I mean, uh, or, or let's say it happens uh, uh, ontogenetically in, in, in the, the, at, at the lifetime scale. Um, my behaviors vary. They are selected depending on the consequences coming from the environment. And some of them will be reproduced. And this contributes to a larger picture of the evolution of my own species. So um, maybe the, the, the image will be a fractal. Do you know what a fractal is? Or is it the, the correct word in English? Fractal, you know that word? Is it sort of like a, a microcosm of a mac macrocosm? Like it's like a tiny slice of, uh, that represents the bigger kind of picture. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the, the model of that, I think the word in English is a cauliflower. Do you know what a cauliflower is? Um, 
I'm not sure if it's the co correct uh, translation, but no worries. Um, a cauliflower is like a vegetable, like a yep, exactly. Cauliflower. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if you look at the cauliflower, you will see that the the, the form of it, uh, if you look at the large picture, is the same as if you look as a tiny part of it. This is okay. a fractal, actually. A fractal is, a, a, let's say, a pattern that you can uh, see from the larger picture and also the same uh, pattern from a, a, a more precise part of this larger picture. I think evolution is the same. I mean, uh, there is evolution uh, on a very large time scale. And for this kind of evolution, um, our material is selected and also evolution on very short term. And then what is selected is, we could say soft in a way. Uh, or another way to, 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 to say that is uh, if you are interacting with a part of the environment that stays the same for a very long time, then what is selected is something about your structure. But if you are in interaction with part of the environment that changes um, on, a, on a very frequent uh, pace, then what is selected something that also can change very quickly mm. and, and here you find behavior so my idea uh, is that exactly as some of the material is selected on the long run on the long run some of our behaviors are also selected and the fact is that for about 10 or 15 years now, evolutionary sciences thinks the same. For a long time, for about, um, I don't know, 50 years, um, evolution sciences were about genetics and genes. Mm. But since now 10 or 15 years, um, new data, uh, um, and especially new data about the influence of behaviors, um, just, brought the idea that our genes are highly sensitive to the context, to the environment. And it means that if our genes are sensitive to the context, to the environment, then the changes in the environment will feed back in a way uh, on our genes. And then you can, I mean, you, you can see by yourself that our behaviors change the environment. And then if our genes are sensitive to the environment, it means that our behaviors change, change back our genes expression. Et voila, as we say in French, means that for 15 years now, or 10 or 15 years, um, behavior has a place at the table of evolutionary, evolutionary sciences. And then it means a double, a double movement, I would say, a bottom-up movement in which we, as psychologists, we know a lot about behavior. We can inform evolutionary sciences, <laughs> and uh, so we, we do that that uh, that job. Actually, we are trying to uh, uh, propose our ideas, especially our ideas about uh, language and our our language could um, be understood and um, its place in evolution, in, in human evolution. So this is a bottom-up movement. And 
recently we also thought that we could have a top-down top-down movement, meaning using the, the knowledge produced by evolutionary sciences and use it actually in psychotherapy. Fantastic. Now, that's probably a good a good way to um, ask the next question. So. In your email signature and on your your website, you have a quote: um, "Nothing in psychology makes sense in except in light of evolution." And I can't pronounce the the, the man's name that said it. I think he, was, <laughs> he must have been Russian or something. But what I want to ask is, why is this such? Why is this so important to understand, especially for people working in clinical psychology and psychotherapy? Yeah, the the, the original quote is. I mean, in my email signature, there is the quote, and I, I wrote almost on the name of the guy because it's not it's it's not his quote actually. I transform it. Um, <clears throat> the guy is very famous in uh, evolutionary sciences, and his name is Dobzhansky, okay. or, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and he's very famous because <clears throat> the title of one of his book was "Nothing in um, Biology Makes Sense." except in the light of evolution, um, as, as you can guess, meaning that uh, evolution is, rec is recognized as the, I don't know how to qualify that, the, the, the pillar of um, any um, biological science. And after that, this quote has been um, um, proposed also in different uh, fields. For example, you would find nothing in cancer uh, makes sense except um, in the light of evolution or um, nothing in uh, ecology or thing like that. so i just transformed it to have nothing in psychology makes sense except in the light of um, uh, of evolution so what does it mean for us uh, what, what was what was your question uh, what does it mean for us as as a psychologist or as psychotherapist uh, why is this such an important theory and model for people to to understand if they're working in psychology and psychotherapy? Okay, so uh, I will give a very simple uh, answer. Okay. Psychology is a life science. That will be my first my, my first answer. About that. I mean, we can be um, conclusive on the fact that. Psychology studies living organisms, us. so it's it's a life science. We don't know any example of a life, life science that is not based on evolution. Why would psychology be um, out of evolution theory? It's 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 a it's a, it's a real question. I mean, if you think that human beings are not governed by the evolutionary principles, then you think that we are different in a way, that there is something more on our species. So I won't say that our species is not special. It is for different reasons, um, especially because of language. But if you think that um, uh, human beings are outside of evolution, that the, the, the very processes, the evolutionary processes uh, don't govern our uh, behaviors. It means that you think, and you, you can you can think that. I mean, you're free to think whatever you want. Uh, but but it means that you consider that human beings are so different comparing to the other uh, animals that you need something more 
to understand them or something different. I don't think that. I think that we are animals. Once again, very special animals. Um, but still, the evolutionary uh, processes govern our behavior. So now, if you, if you try to understand um, part of what we do and part of what we feel of our emotions, and sometimes when uh, um, it gets messy or difficult for us, why wouldn't you use um, evolutionary principle to understand that and maybe to change that? This is the, 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 the simplest answer I can I can um, I can give. That's uh, that's really well put. Actually, you've you've said that really well, and I'm just I just wonder about what the origins of this sort of um, this worldview that sees human beings as separate from the rest of the natural world. I wonder is this is this has its roots in in religions or things like that. I I don't know, um, but maybe this isn't the time to get into that. But um, what what would you say are the benefits of having an evolutionary worldview in psychotherapy? Like how is this, whenever you apply this in clinical work, what are the benefits to, um, to using it? Um, at, at first I would say, because you, you just mentioned a question that you, you, you said it was a bit off topic and you're, you're right about it, but I can't resist uh, to, to advise um, the, the, the reading of a paper for, Stephen Ace and collaborators. The title is Cooperation Came First. Maybe uh, the, the difference for our species is about uh, what's, what we call sometimes theory of mind of, or the, the way we can uh, project uh, ideas or uh, thoughts to, um, uh, to, to other people. Maybe that will be the, the difference, difference about people think differently from from us i think all of this will explain in a way why we are so different and at the same time we are responding to the same principles um, and also uh, i'd like to mention a chapter that i wrote with uh, Stephen ace as well um, in which we proposed uh, an hypothesis on on the place no, sorry on, on the the fact that evolution is responsible for the development of language. And language is a very special set of behaviors that in a way um, help us uh, free ourselves from the, let's say the natural course of evolution. So it's a bit tricky, but uh, it's about the fact that um, determinism um, brought language to us and then now we can have free choice. Um, and in a way, we can um, choose our own evolution. But those stories are really, um, you're right on the fact that they are of the topics because they are highly speculative. Are, we, we can't have data on that. So back to your, your question, what are the uh, advantages of using the evolutionary processes in psychotherapy? Um, I think this goes uh, along the, the, the ideas um, about uh, process-based uh, psychotherapy. We are in a, in a moment uh, in which um, plenty of, dif of different models have been proposed, and especially 
during the last 15 or 20 years. I don't know if you followed that, uh, but there are really a lot of proposal of new models. Um, I think this is not um, surprising in a way. Uh, I mean, for example, consider the fact that, uh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, 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 the right numbers in, in my head, but uh, let's say 50 years ago, there were half uh, of the, the humans that we have now on this planet. Maybe we were, I don't know if you can Google that, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure that uh, 50 years ago, maybe there, there was four billion humans or, or three and a half or something like that. Um, I mean, among that, uh, the, the, the part of psychologists or uh, <clears throat> um, academics searching all those ideas um, uh, about how to help people who are suffering. Uh, that part was, was the same, but the, the amount of people was, uh, <laughs> was uh, uh, less important. So right now there are plenty of psychologists who are working on this. So um, I think it's not surprising that we have a lot of models that came out um, recently. But what I want to say is that, um, in fact, it depends how you want to uh, help people and also how you consider um, psychological uh, issues. Um, in in the, the behavioral wing for a long time and still now, we are looking for what I would call universal processes. We want to discover processes that could be common to anyone. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a strategy. You, you can either you can choose to really select the, the 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 part of people or the problem you want to solve, or you imagine that there are principles that explain the whole uh, the whole story about um, psychological issues. We are in the behavioral wing. We 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 have this idea that. Um, the differences that we see among different um, psychological issues are not that important. And that we, we have to look for uh, uh, major movements that are responsible for um, psychological issues and psychological pain. Um, but this doesn't uh, contradict the fact that uh, we, we can have different models. The question would be what is common in this in these different models that would explain their um, effectiveness. So if you want to understand what is common, in a way you go uh, a step further. And if you do that a certain number, number of time, in the end, you, you, you will uh, fall in a way on uh, evolutionary processes because it's an explanation or a proposition of explanation of, of living entities. And once again, we are living entities. So I think that will be the, the first, um, the first um, advantage of this, the fact that uh, it's um, a, a limited set of principles under which a lot of uh, different uh, uh, models can, um, in a way, um, see or find why what they are doing can be effective. 
So, um, maybe I can recall what are those movements, what are those principles in evolution. It's quite simple, actually. It's about variation, selection, and retention, meaning we need to have very different proposals of behaviors so that some of them will match the environment and will be reproduced. Um, with these three principles in mind, I think you can take any model and see what it brings as novelty, as variation, or what it proposes to selection to select sorry, um, certain behaviors and how it helps retaining, reproducing certain behaviors. I think this will be the, the, the first uh, uh, major point. And I'm looking for the second one, but I forgot about it. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, well, I think I think this is a good, you know, this is a good point to um, ask. You know, the, the the three big things in evolution are variation, selection, and retention. And also, I think Stephen Hayes builds on top of this. He says within a certain context at the right dimension and at the right level as well. Um, with the, with the variation, um, how do you, you know, how do you help, um, clients? Like how do you apply that particular principle with your clients in psychotherapy? Like how do you help them vary their behaviors? Because this is the whole thing, you know, if, if people, if we keep doing the exact same things, we're going to keep getting the exact same results. So we have to have some kind of variation, you know? So how do you do that in your work? Like, how do you help? How do you apply this? If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, maybe the, 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 the first way to answer your question is at first to try to understand um, how their, their difficulties, how their problem um, appears. I mean, if, if you want to propose something like a, um, a way to help people at first you need to understand what are the processes that are responsible for their difficulties right so if you bring uh, evolutionary principle in the game uh, you are supposed to explain or to propose um, how those processes are responsible for for the for, for the suffering um, and here what we what we propose is the fact that um, evolution didn't uh, get crazy for people who are suffering for psychological issues. But um, human beings have this particularity with language to focus in a way on a tiny part of the environment and to adapt to this tiny, to this restricted part of the environment. So our proposal is, I mean, what we could call etiopathogenic uh, uh, proposal. So the way- What does that mean, sorry? Uh, it means the 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 way um, the psychological issues developed. What is the cause, in a way? What is the cause of um, those issues? And our proposal for that is the fact that uh, we sometimes adapt to restricted part of the environment. For example, we adapt to our um, emotions here and now without seeing the large the larger picture. Um, or sometimes we adapt to uh, the way we think about the environment, meaning we are adapting to what we say about the environment. Um, and in the end, um, as you are 
I would say over adapted to a, to a restricted part of the environment. Okay, yeah. Uh, your behavioral repertoire is um, sooner or later is going to restrict, to, to, to be limited. And then you start to do the same every time. For example, you are always looking for a way for um, people to uh, love you. Or uh, you are always thinking about the fact that your nose is too big or thing like that. As you can imagine, if you are um, over adapted, I don't know if it's the correct word, but adapted to a tiny part of the environment, um, you start to be not adapted to the rest of the, of the environment. Yeah. So what we do uh, in, um, in psychotherapy is to first try to understand what is the, the, the restrictive part of the environment of the environment that the, the client is um, over adapted. What does he repeat? What are the domains in which he is um, uh, persisting despite the fact that it is not uh, um, um, successful for him or her? Okay, so this is functional analysis in a way. Functional analysis in which, in which you focus you are focusing on the repetitive behaviors, the forces that are selecting these behaviors and uh, how they are um, uh, repeated, okay? And then as you can guess, I mean, we always um, did that in, uh, in CBT. Uh, we try to change all that. So it means we are trying to bring variation in the uh, repertoire. And, I mean, in that direction, a lot of um, um, models in psychotherapy um, produce variation. I would say that um, even psychotherapy per se, written large, is um, a set of new behaviors for our client. Think about it. Um, uh, you, you don't have something or a place where you do the same as we do in psychotherapy. Where can you sit? in front of someone else, talking about your um, inner thoughts, your emotions, with someone that really listens to you without waiting for uh, his, his turn or her turn to speak, okay? I mean, when you're speaking with, talking with a friend, that will be something uh, different because you are going to listen to your friend uh, sooner or later. Here, uh, the very frame, framework of psychotherapy brings novelty and different behaviors. And we try to improve that, to increase that, meaning that we try uh, to um, help people to, to, to gain back uh, variation in their repertoire so that some of this variation would be more adapted to their uh, context. So this is the first thing that we can do, variation. Uh, is really, really important in psychotherapy. Um, the second part is to help them uh, um, changing their, their environment so that they can uh, change the selective force that are acting uh, upon their behaviors. And as I told you previously, um, there is a way to change our uh, behaviors by changing our environment. And this environment is going to change back um, our uh, behaviors. So we help clients to um, to set, to organize a new um, selective force in their life. And actually, 
we can consider um, ourselves, I mean, practitioners, as a new selective force. If you look at the process by itself, uh, clients ask for our help. It means that they bring novelty, they bring variation in their uh, repertoire. I mean, asking for someone help is different from uh, trying to solve the problem by yourself. It's something new. And as soon as they uh, ask for our help, we, in a way, are a new force of selection for, for their behaviors because we are going to focus on certain behaviors and not others, or uh, maybe reinforce certain, certain behaviors or not. So we do that. And also, uh, in the end, when, uh, when some of those behaviors are um, um, appeared and are um, more adapted to their uh, environment, then uh, we, could, we could imagine that those behaviors are, uh, let's say, naturally reinforced by the environment, the social environment, for example. But also, uh, we, we reinforce them so that the client retain and reproduce them more, and then they, they, they gain back um, their autonomy, and then bye-bye, if everything went well. So you see that the, 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 the third time, the, 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 the three times, sorry, the three movements here, variation, selection, retention, um, which are the same for any uh, living entities around us. That's fascinating. Um, so in terms of uh, selection, the second part, how, how does a psychotherapist consciously help a client, you know, find consequences and forces in their in their in their context that would help them um to reinforce the behaviors that they want to change like how do you how do you practically do that um, maybe if we have an example of how that would happen in the real world that would be really helpful for people mm-hmm. as i told you before our hypothesis is that um i mean you become a client in a way you need help as soon as you restricted your, your behavior to a tiny part of the environment. And this, this, this restricted part is about emotions that you are um, feeling here and now, or the fact that you are in another world, I would say, the, the world of uh, language that brings uh, stimuli that are not here and now. So this is the, the opposite um, picture. Um, with that in mind, uh, if you see that a client um, restricted his behavior or her behavior to um, here and now and to emotions, for example, what we have in, uh, uh, in phobias, um, your work will be to help him seeing the larger, the larger picture, meaning to take into consideration um, consequences of his behavior that are not here and now, so this is quite easy, actually, because a lot of clients um, even suffer from the fact that they see that they are losing opportunities. But it means also seeing what here and now represents, meaning to, to help them access the symbolism of what they are doing, to have more uh, uh, input uh, from the environment, and actually the environment that is not here here and now. So for example, in acceptance and commitment therapy, what we would do um, in front of a client that uh, is suffering from uh, anxiety or phobia or things like that, and um, avoids a lot of situations or uh, behaviors is to help him taking into consideration what we call values. That is, 
the let's say the reason why this suffering um, uh, should be um, uh, approached and if you do that it means that when the fear uh, appears um, for, for that client uh, the the let's say the adaptive behavior would be to escape or to avoid but it's only only adapted if you look at the fear that you are um, uh, feeling here and now it's not adapted uh, to another part of the context so at this very moment with our work meaning that we are going to help the clients seeing what is important for them in this situation um, the idea is to help them um, convoking in a way those stimuli that are not present here and now but this could be an example I'm, I'm only starting to see just how compatible this all is with the psychological flexibility model and you know even in terms of the variation um, you were saying there that a big problem that people suffer with is they get over adapted to a particular thought or emotion or whatever and it seems that a big part of psychological flexibility is widening the client's perspective and widening widening their view of the context and um, involves a lot of those things. So, so maybe could you expand a bit on that there if that if that's if that's all right? Yeah, it's it's uh, I would say that um, I mean my my, uh, my short and first answer would be that's the same flexibility flexibility and psychological flexibility is about um, uh, being sensitive to the context and to adapt our behaviors to the context. When we are talking about um, uh, psychological flexibility, we are referring to the, the, the internal context. But it's, I mean, the psychological flexibility is about selection of our behaviors so that they are the most adapted to the to the context. It's exactly the same, actually. If you look at the, at the definition of psychological flexibility, it's about persisting or changing. You know about that, persisting or, or changing. We should be uh, surprised uh, uh, with this definition because actually it says two opposite um, directions, persist or, or change. What it means is, being sensitive to the context, being able to persist or to change according to what comes from the context. I mean, persisting for someone who never persists, it's about change. Changing for someone who is not usually changing consists in persisting. Okay. And also, th this is really tricky because we, we often think about the environment as something that is um, uh, stable, something non-changing. The problem is that it's, it is always changing. Consider that if you consider situational environment, at first it is compounded from other people who are also living their own lives, right? So my external situational environment is going to change every time. My internal uh, environment is also changing all the time because each time you leave something is going to change um, your uh, inner context. Everything changes all the time. If you don't change, sooner or later the train is going to pass and you are going to stay here uh, 
Uh, psychological flexibility is is only uh, about producing variation and keeping variation so that some of what you are able some of the the reaction you you are able to to produce to your emotions thoughts memory and things like that uh, would be more adapted than others yeah that's... you know for example it's exactly what when we say for example that avoidance is not a problem experiential avoidance is not a problem it is always uh, um, producing in a way uh, or reacting in experiential avoidance the problem the problem is always doing always the same if you are a species that never changes you're going to die sooner or later 100 um well jean louise that's pretty much all we've got time for today it's been fascinating to talk to you thank you so much for taking the time to share you're some welcome. Of your, my pleasure your knowledge with us uh as a follow-on from this conversation are there any resources that you would recommend people to check out now i know you've written a chapter in a book called evolution and contextual behavioral science is that something that people should look into and anything else uh, I, I was about to advise this book i think it could be a first uh, first good good place uh, a good place to start so uh, uh, because it's it's an edited book so there are plenty of uh, different voices in that so i think it could be interesting to jump into into that and um also, I would advise to, to, to go in the direction of process-based uh, CBT. And Stephen Hayes wrote a book about that with Stefan Hoffman. I think the very spirit of that is that we want to work, um, because we, we, didn't, we didn't talk uh, uh, about the, um, uh, the difference between uh, the, the process-based approach and categorical approach, but I think we are talking about that. Uh, evolution is about processes, not about uh, something that, it, that is uh, strictly and uh, definitely um, um, described. I mean, if you are in the, how can I say that? Um, dividing the world in, in different parts and think that the world doesn't change um, is, is a direction that uh, revealed uh, not very effective in psychotherapy. We need to, we need to think complexity. Um, this is actually what uh, contextual behavior science is about. When you think contextually, it means that everything is going to change every time. And um, I think we need to, to, to focus on processes in psychotherapy. And uh, this book about um, process-based CBT is also something that you could read with the, 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 the lens or the glasses of uh, evolutionary processes in mind. You will see there that the processes uh, on which we are focusing are about variation selection and retention yeah. brilliant brilliant we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes for this this episode but Jean-Louis it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you um thank you so much and also everyone Jean-Louis has got a he's got a workshop I'm not sure when the next one is but it's called Darwin as your clinical supervisor and this is basically some of the stuff we've covered today, Jean-Louis goes into it in more depth. And maybe you could tell us a bit more about this workshop. And is there another one coming up soon? Or what's the what's the latest on that? Yeah, I didn't uh, schedule it for, for, for the moment, but it will be uh, it will be on, on my website uh, in a couple of days or something like that. Um, in, in a nutshell, the, the workshop is about uh, everything we covered here, but in a practical way. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, 
uh, of uh, uh, role plays and exercises in which um, I give plenty of advices to, to, to the practitioners on how they can bring variation uh, in their client. For example, how to use extension to have a, a variation, how to reinforce um, variation, how to uh, use our own behaviors as a selective tool and, and, and things like that. So sometimes we think about uh, different um, uh, clinical moves, even coming from other traditions, and we try to understand how the this could be something in direction of the, the evolutionary processes that we just talked about. Fantastic. Well, we'll link to the website as well so people can check that out after after listening to this. So, Sean Louis, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and best. My of pleasure. Luck. Thank you, Lane.